0: to the Sharon Klein hour, health, environment and the power of water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina.
1: Earth Human Mission is what this show is about. The Sharon Kleiner hour, the power of water. It it's a chosen topic because there is a global water crisis and of course, if the planet Earth is having a water crisis that you're hearing about every day and more so lately, obviously it, is, it has not been in the news, but your health will be affected too because you're living with the planet Earth. It's no different than living in a home or living someplace where there's a drought or uh, something. there's a tornado or the problems of anything that goes on with nature. You'll be affected, and you are being affected The global water crisis and its efforts on human health are unreported. The news media has ignored it, and researchers are going into topics like uh, uh, global warming and uh, uh, political issues. And and that's a challenge we all have, is why are they taking on political issues that don't have anything to do right now where we need to be uh, at the moment? And that word, N-O-W, now is so important to all of us because what about the now? We have a situation throughout the world. There is a water crisis. There are health crises. There's a lot of education. But what are we doing about it? We can't elect people to think about that. We have to do that ourselves. That's what we should learn. The Sharon Klein Hour is a a show that I started almost three years ago thinking that the power of water would become a topic and a news story. Well, only one media source has taken up the challenge of educating the public on this worldwide, multi-problem, life-threatening, lack of education, rapidly growing crisis. But uh, crises can be solved. We're going to do them together on this show. But the Sharon Kleiner Hour is the one that's the most newsworthy. Throughout the world, the news needs to be uh, discussed about Yemen having water wars. Over in Kenya, our animals, the largest conservatory of animals could die. Uh, Our diseases that are out of control because of water. We haven't been studying it together. They're getting together all over the world, and they're spending a fortune, sometimes $20,000 a ticket to get in, fly in in their jets. But the subject of water, I have not heard. It should be a primary research project for every living person on the face of the globe. And let's do it together with this show. Leave your footprint. Join me. Reason together to discover life and water with education to improve your health and wellness worldwide. One person and one idea at a time. We can do this together, you and I, with this show. We're going to go out and we're going to get the news media involved. We're going to go out and get these special organizations that get so scattered and carried away with all that money, but they don't target in. Without the water, there is no planet. There is no life. There is nothing left. And for some reason, the solar system intervention, Earth has the water. It's better than anything. They say with a new book out, Water, that it's more valuable than oil. It's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than anything. Wall Street says if you can find water, invest. It is, a, it is the most valuable source of living commodity on the face of the gold because people didn't recognize there is a problem. We need to learn it together. Your health can be affected, but obstacles are to solve. And with my background, I have an extremely unusual background. I'm the founder of Biologic Aqua Research and I know how to dive in and study that petri dish. Let's do it together. Today we have Stefan Dorland, who's author of Dr. Gord, What Bitter Melon Can Do for You. He is an herbalist, medicine hunter, he says, owner of a natural products, and he's in Los Angeles. The topic today he'd like to learn about, teach us about in our classroom and our little laboratory, our laboratory here. That we're going to reach out to the media and, and uh, become more involved with them. The back, uh, to get back to what bitter melon and other sources of earth nature can do for you. Our second guest, I invited Fred Kirschenman back who's from North Dakota, he's a Ph.D., author and president of the Kershman Family Farms, a 3,500-acre certified organic farm. I really learned a lot. And for me to learn, I want you to learn. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye miss the only method of naturally replacing moisture for the eyes. It's not an eye drop. It's not a chemistry. It is the only method to be able to replenish the moisture lost to the eyes, all naturally with just a mist. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Stefan.
0: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Stefan, are you with us?
3: Uh, yes, I am, Sharon. Thank you for having me and Happy President's Day.
1: Well, yes, and uh, I, I, w- I hope you had a nice Valentine's Day because I think everybody's hearts are out there, and uh, and today is President's Day.
3: Yes, kind of neat two holidays in in a row.
1: Now, I wanted to ask you, I'm really excited about you being on, and thank you for joining us, because I'm very curious for what you're going to teach us today. And I look at this as a classroom. My background is studying uh, dehydration for uh, over 30 years and uh, wanting to know more about you personally and then if you could teach us in this classroom what you've been learning about, But the nature of Earth can offer us uh, for some of these nutrition secrets that a lot of people don't even understand. But tell us about you first, Stefan. How did you get where you're at today?
3: Okay. Well, I was in the medical field for a long time. I did uh, a diverse array of things, including uh, surgical assisting and uh, physical therapy and uh, in my experience in hospitals, I kind of got exposed to a little alternative medicine, mainly through uh, something called biofeedback. And from there, I started studying uh, herbalism. But before you
1: go too much further, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Teach our audience what the de- description of biofeedback is.
3: Sure, biofeedback is biological information fed back to you. In other words. Um, you hook up to a machine, usually attached to a computer, and on the screen is a lot of your bio, biological information, for example, your body temperature, your blood uh, your blood pressure rate, your um, sweat output, like you know, sweat in your hands, which usually increases when you're nervous, and you get all those different indicators fed back to you on the screen, and so you, as the patient, you see how your body responds Instead of somebody saying, "Oh no, you know you 're sick or you 're not sick or you have this or that
1: or not That's just w- depending upon blood tests only, but there, it's another method
3: right, uh, and I enjoyed doing that, but I was still kind of wanting to do more, and I wanted to be my own boss as well, so um, I started studying uh, herbalism and <clears throat> excuse me uh, healthy foods, ethnic foods, and uh, did a lot of traveling. Uh, In Asia and South America, to you know, research lessons they had, and um, just fell in love with this one particular food called bitter melon, and uh, which is what I wrote.
1: Now, where did you? Where did you discover that at, Stefan? Bitter Um, melon. When did you first discover bitter melon? Which country?
3: Um, actually, I discovered it here. I had been um, to other countries where it was growing, but I didn't discover it. I discovered it when I was owning, or uh, I did own a health food store, and somebody came in one day talking about Mother Teresa and her uh, herbalist, which kind of interests me, and they said, oh, you know, I saw her put this bitter melon juice on this leprosy patient. And, she gave bitter melon a drink to this cancer patient, and I said, what is bitter melon? And so they told me, so I got really interested uh, in bitter melon at that time and started researching it and um, experimenting with it. And so today I would call myself uh, like the king of bitter melon, <laughs> uh, which, which is nice. Well, it's good news and bad news. The good news is I'm the king of bitter melon, but the bad news, no one knows what bitter melon is.
1: Yeah, now uh, that's what we're here for today. And we're going to try this show to be the newsworthy, uh, get the news out. Uh, this is something I found, Stefan. that first of all, water has not been reported by the news media to be the crisis it is and the subtle little the wars that are seriously killed. People are dying with wars that are going on because they're being starved without the water. Then I learned what, along the way that the news media was not mentioning that people are not able to get the certain particular foods available to them because they don't know what the earth offers to them maybe closer to home than just the grocery store so i'm very much into the news world the news media and myself joining together and coming out and learning how do we live with the earth and can we leave a footprint each and every one of us how we learn how to live with the earth Leave that as a legacy to our generations. But first of all, too, we need to understand the value of water and how to protect the water and make sure that, for, that Earth is always going to have water. Now, we know that melon is growing, how melon grows, but tell me, tell our audience around the world now, with how a melon grows. And can they begin to grow melons also? And this is another one that's going to be fun in this room, this classroom. I call it of the show. How can they learn to grow a melon and be part of this if they couldn't find the melon? So teach us that too.
3: Okay, it's uh, a good point. Well, the the gourd family the, of which bitter melon and watermelon and cucumber and uh, many other. Uh, now
1: you're calling melons the gourd family of uh, the gourd family. Yes, the gourd. Pardon me, G-O-U-R-D, gourd.
3: Right. Gourd, and it's uh, the Latin name. That means name it's
1: growing cr- with, uh, with a, 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 a stem that's called a gourd.
3: Um, well, it's on a vine, actually. They grow on there, okay. a vine. Okay, there we go. And the vine is called the curcubit, which Okay. Is like the Latin name for gourd. Okay. Curcubit, and that word comes from the uh, adultery, the word meaning adultery, and that's because it's so easy to grow. Okay, um, And they reproduce easily, they, they um, crossbreed and so on. And they're uh, one of the oldest foods, perhaps yams may be older, but I believe that uh, uh, the gourd family is even as old as you can get. You know, the earliest are the oldest religious icons are painted gourds. Uh, maracas are gourds, uh, the sitar is a gourd, the uh, sponges are gourds. Uh, like I mentioned, the cucumbers are gourds. Um, anyway, they're very easy to, would, to would grow. Would the tomato
1: be a, a? You know, I'm just. I, I, this is just a. Would a tomato be like a gourd in a way because it is growing with those vines?
3: It does grow in a vine, but no, it's not a gourd. I, I don't know the the family name for tomato Because you just mentioned
1: the cucumber, and that's why I first. Then all of a sudden, I started thinking about these vines of of a t- tomato plant.
3: Um, yeah, it's a little bit different, but they, they grow well. They need uh, hot weather. At least the, the bitter melon, gourd needs the hot weather. It um, doesn't have to be tropical, but it will, you know, like a frost uh, would kill it.
1: Now, or what does people, a bitter melon look like?
3: Okay, it looks like a wrinkly cucumber, sort of. Um, people who are familiar with Asian cuisine, uh, your listeners may know it, but it's, uh, you know, long, like a, a quarter moon, Mm-hmm. And it hangs off of the vine. And now, uh,
1: where would you find them? Probably most grocery stores.
3: Uh, most of have... the mainstream grocery stores, uh, just like it'd be hard to find a a good water there. It's hard to find a good bitter melon. Um, you need to go to usually an ethnic store, mm-hmm. um, preferably like a, a Chinese or okay. a Filipino or Thai, or Caribbean, Indian.
1: Okay, let's say they go and they would find, and they would look up on the website, looking and understanding what a bitter melon, and they're going to learn more from the show. But when you find a bitter melon, what does it do for you?
3: Okay, Um, probably the the beginning point would be how it helps for uh, balancing blood sugar. It's what it's most famous for. In fact, in China, You can buy bitter melon injections, just like people inject insulin here. Mm -hmm. You can inject bitter melon. Of course, it's a pharmaceutical preparation of bitter melon, but um, that's probably what it's most famous for. In fact, the uh, botanical name uh, for bitter melon literally means lowers blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Now, You take uh, garlic, for example, which is a medicinal food, but its botanical name means spear. Uh, echinacea is medicinal. Everybody knows it. It means sea urchin. But the, the bitter melon, which few people know, literally means lowers blood sugar. So like the medicinal claim uh, is right there in the name.
1: Now let's say, for example, I'm going to uh, follow me in my little lab here for a second. Sure. Um, okay, so uh, bitter melon, first of all, what does it taste like? Um, um, you say it's bitter. Uh, is it, what does it taste like?
3: Um, Yes, it's definitely bitter, and that's sort of a a hurdle to go over with a lot of people because they say, oh, I don't want anything bitter. But, of course, the same person who says that probably likes coffee, they probably like beer, and they probably like chocolate, and those things are all bitter. Um, But it does taste bitter. Um, It's best when you eat it or cook it to, you know, blend it just like your creating art, mixing your different colors together where you mix bitter with sweet and sour and savory and you get a nice uh, dish. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little bit like, uh, if you know dandelion, dandelion is Mm -hmm. bitter, it's sort of like Mm -hmm. that, or maybe a radish, uh, Mm -hmm. something like that.
1: Okay. Okay, so a person, uh, when they would purchase one, what would they do? How would they go about providing it as a nutrition for them.
3: Okay, basically you would you would buy it just as buying a healthy vegetable mm-hmm. and cook it uh, like you would almost anything else. You vegetable wise you could, you know, steam it, put it in a soup, uh, oh. a wok, steam fry it, blanch it.
1: Uh So it's not recommended to have it by itself. You you, you recommend it to be blended of some to something. Yeah, for your
3: if you want in to a juice maybe diet, or? um, bitter to Can you make a juice with it? it? Just like in the salad, if you're going to have dandelion greens or escarole in your salad, it's better to mix it with other leaves as well.
1: Okay. Now, when you say uh, when you chop, when you cut it up into cubes or however you cut it up into whatever to add to uh, the salad or whatever amount. Now, how much would you recommend a person have to keep their uh, lower their blood sugar? Let's say they're they're a diabetic or there's somebody who has. Hy- hypoglycemia or other problems with too much sugar in the system, and they didn't even know it yet. And there's a lot of that going on uh, because people don't realize, Stefan, that sugar heats their body up. Um, what What would you recommend? Uh, how often would they have it?
3: A uh, person with diabetes should definitely have it every day, at least once or, or twice a day. And,
1: uh, now, how much would they have if they had it once a day? Uh, how, much, how would you recommend th- that once or twice? How much is
3: that? Okay, I would say like when you slice a cucumber, like let's say you slice it like the size of a piece of sushi, for example. Okay. You eat maybe like four to six of those uh, slices a day.
1: And if, if it's bitter, how would you recommend that they might like the taste? We have a, we're having a culture of life here where people like sweet They want it to taste like a potato chip. I can't have just one advertisement. How would they eat it if it was too bitter for them? Um, Let's say they want to do it on the go. Uh, How would they eat it?
3: They should just mix it with something. Um, Mix it, for example, with the acorn squash or miso.
1: Can they mix it with a juice?
3: Um, you can actually juice it. You could juice it and mix it with the uh, carrot juice or Okay, or there we like go. That.
1: And to a protein juice.
3: Um, or protein that would be fine. That yeah, would we'll blend in well with that. You know the um, Dr. Andrew Weil, in his book Natural Health, Natural Medicine, he said mm-hmm. that the lack of bitter increases sugar consumption. Mm-hmm. So the so the more people avoid bitter, the more they're gonna eat sugar. Oh
1: yeah, there's a lot of sugar problems out there. You know uh, Stefan I watch myself and I've been studying a long time um, I, I'll have one bite of uh, like a little a favorite cookie or a, 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 during a holiday my a, a nice uh, goodive of chocolate and all of a sudden Stefan I want one more now I've been studying why is it? we have this thing with the palate and those nerve endings that are on the tongue that i found that for some reason in our saliva and our apostat and everything you want to think about loves the taste of sugar it's out of control i oh. see people walking around with soda they are you know absolutely cannot go without walking around with a bottle of soda or they're walking around with a coffee drink with lots of sugar Or vanilla or whatever in it. What do you What do you say to those people for them to learn that they have to think about lowering the blood sugar? Stefan. Yes. Did we lose you?
3: It sounds like we did. Yes, but I heard what you were saying. You're talking about how people are walking around with sodas and
1: sodas and 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 coffee drinks with vanilla flavor and sugar and. And, and whatever, uh, what would you say to people who need to lower the blood sugar and maybe they don't even know about it, but then there's a recommendation to learn more about bitter melon and other natural resources of earth that could help them?
3: Well, I would tell them that what they're doing is they're, they're drawing a person as a stick figure, so which is an easy, boring way to do it, instead of using all of the colors.
1: I lost you. So you think that each person that might be living like that is living like a stick figure rather than the product of real life. Are you there? Nutrition offers and if you've heard about uh, Michelle Obama and her new crusade and even Oprah Winfrey, there's a crusade going on in our, uh, in our country of America. How can we learn to eat better? How are we going to learn to eat from the earth and enjoy it? And there's even some reports coming out on some research that try to eat what's closer to you at home, and maybe you could learn to grow your own melons and radishes and cucumbers and little lettuces. And uh, Stephen, are you with us yet? I think we've lost him. But there's something that we need to learn uh, about what you could do at home. Uh, there's those little uh, indoor gardens that are av- uh, available to purchase that you can start growing your little your own uh, lettuces at home. Um, there's things that we could learn with those special lighting that is ab- that could be above those little gardens that you could have at the house or in your garage or. Uh, wherever you would like to have that little greenhouse. You know, I have a strong feeling, audience, potentially we're going to become in America the energy of nutrition, energy of water, energy how to how to grow from the soil. Stefan, are you with us? Yes, I am. Sorry about well, we have a couple of moments left. Uh, tell us more about – I was telling the audience while we were uh, waiting for you to be able to come back uh, because of technology problems um, – we need to learn, Stefan, how to live from this earth and what it offers us year-round, not just wait for the weather to change and start the garden. Have you ever noticed some of the indoor gardens that can be built uh, for people to learn how to or in the garage in a little special spot so people can start growing some of their own um, foods and lettuces and, and dark greens? Have you ever, have you ever? Can you teach us about that?
3: I'm um, sure there's a lot of people who grow bitter melon inside, even in Canada. Uh, and like I said, bitter melon needs warm weather. Um, and what they do... But or you what, could
1: do that with lighting, right?
3: Yeah, they do it, you can do it with artificial light, but what they do is they let it grow up against the, uh, those glass doors, you know, that emit a, emit a lot of sunlight.
1: Oh, uh-huh. Make, so make it inside, into a household plant. So it gets plant.
3: the heater from inside, but ah. they get all the light. And they grow them up to like eight foot tall.
1: You know, I'm picturing, now follow me, Stephen, for a minute. You go out and you find yourself the twisted willow branch. And you put it in something that's very sturdy and a, and a beautiful decorative planter. And then you begin below that planter, close to a window, begin growing those melons and let them become a plant within the house up that vine, up that uh, twisted willow or those branches and you could grow other things and make it very attractive and special lighting around it.
3: Yeah, plus what it does for your air and you know, detoxifying your air and inside where you live. Uh, there's just so many you know, good things about it.
1: Well, we only have a minute left. Tell us more about your products that you have also. Uh, you own a health foods company, and you're the founder of some other products. Tell us about those real quick.
3: Okay, sure. And I have a website, which is Astral dash where I have all of my products. But I have mm-hmm. one product you'd probably inter- be interested in called coffee tea. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, no, another, another coffee. But this is actually a tea made from coffee leaves. Mm-hmm. And, the and you leaf, have
1: one called Have a Heart.
3: Uh, yeah, Have a Heart, which is um, one for people stressed out or high blood pressure. Uh, there's a cough uh, remedy or cough syrup called Astral Syrup. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite. So if they come ones.
1: to your website. They can learn more about each one at your website and get a real education uh, on what the ingredients are and what you find. Why those ingredients are very important for their health.
3: They sure can.
1: And they're all natural. Uh, now I noticed that you do a lot of Chinese study. Uh, have you heard about that new book out that I'm going to be bring, uh, bringing on uh, the show? Uh, the Chinese story then, um, about food.
3: The Chinese Story? No, I haven't heard that. Yeah, it's
1: a brand new one on the bestseller, and it's about food. It's uh, it's called The China Story. I apologize. uh, The book is called The China Story. And it's really got a lot of real exciting research in it. Then there's another book called uh, Water that is absolutely 500 pages of what is happening to the water and what we need to be thinking about. And I'm sure you're telling everybody to drink a lot of water, aren't you?
3: Oh, I definitely do. I mean, there's nothing without, there's not life without water.
1: Exactly. Can we, as a news media group, all of us Stefan, teach the world, that is the primary biggest focus we should be making and then start going down the ladder after we get the water uh, That's thought step out. step number and,
3: one. It's really step number one.
1: Number one. And did you notice that out of the whole solar system, the intervention is Earth has the water. Did you? <laughs> We better take care of it, shouldn't we? Well, I want to thank you for joining us. That was very, uh, really liked it. And we'll have you on again uh, with some more of your products.
3: Okay. Thank you, Sharon.
1: And you have a nice day and be well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, before we bring on Fred Kirschman to discuss uh, the organic farming, and he could teach us about the melons probably too, is we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, the natural method. Did you know that when you were born, you left the pocket of water, you entered in the air you breathe, that was your dehydration moment to uniquely be you. No two eyes alike, no two complexions on the skin alike, no two fingerprints alike. We're having a dehydration every moment of the day, losing moisture. The eyes lose moisture because they have to have moisture come from the air and behind the eyes if you don't have enough you have a problem with the eyes, the healthy eyes. There is a deficiency. But when you begin to think about replacing the moisture lost to the eye for dry eyes, burning, itching, allergies, blurring, um, all the reasons that the eyes become deficient just once or twice a day, with just an all-natural tissue culture grade of water, just a mist. Well, listen to our sponsor, Nature Sears Eye Mist, and we'll be right back with Fred.
2: All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you.
0: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Fred, are you with us? I am. Thank you for joining me again. You know, I enjoyed it so much last week, and you were teaching me a lot. And I've been in research for over 30 years. Uh, Can we learn enough? It's impossible, and we can learn so much from each other, and I think the footprint of ourselves uh, on this earth are what can we learn to help others to improve our lives and the lives of this planet.
4: Yeah, I Um, think we all have a lot to learn on that one.
1: Oh, and and you know, you've been learning through your uh, resources, your generations and family farms, of 3,500 acres of touching that soil. And as you touch that soil, you begin to live with it like it was a part of you and your family in valuing it. Now, follow me, Fred. I, I'm probably a crazy lady, but when I look outside and I see the trunk of the tree, I look at the mountains for strength, courage, wisdom, and, and uh, all that's there, and protection. Then I'm looking over at the water of the world, and ha- the news media hasn't even been discussing the crisis, a crisis of how do we solve it, go into these different countries that are having wars. Then there's other alternatives like everything has another side. Can we teach each other if there's not enough water available and there's something that has happened like you learned to do and your family farms? You learned how to, uh, to grow crops by turning and loving that soil and valuing it with these little secrets that Earth offers. And tell us again today about how you turn, you have 3,500 acres of farm, you're an organic farmer, and you don't have the water. Tell us about that one again. You don't have yeah, the well, water.
4: Yeah, the, the particular part in central North Dakota where our farm is, uh, there are no aquifers um, you know, under the ground, so there's no irrigation water. Uh, we do have a lot of wetlands. That's why it's called the prairie pothole region. Uh, but uh, you know, you, you can't pump uh, water out of the wetlands, uh, both because it's illegal and because if you did, you would uh, disrupt that ecosystem, which we don't want to do. Um, so we're dependent on, on, on rainfall, always have been. And um, so, you know, Can we... how much
1: rainfall? Is that a year? I forgot.
4: Yeah, for, about 14 inches. 14 total, inches total is all a year. Right, okay. yeah. And so, uh, you know, we have learned on our farm to live with that and... Uh, and but one you, of the took, things,
1: you took the earth and you began to live with the earth, not saying, hey, I want you to learn, live with me for me. You learned yeah, to live with what it was there. And tell us about how you did that.
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, one of the things that I didn't learn until much later when I went to graduate school and started reading uh, ecologists who have been reminding us for some time that it's adaptive management, not control management that works. Oh,
1: I like that one. Adaptive. In other right. words, when you get out of bed in the morning, Fred, do you touch your feet on the ground and think, today I'm going to adapt as I walk, right? Well, I, I,
4: you know, I don't know if it's quite that literal. <laughs> I, mean, I know but, uh, we're going to be
1: human, but you, it is the truth. It is the truth. Yeah, Learn to live with you, the earth, yeah. right.
4: Uh, but you, what it does is it, it always uh, leads you to have a conversation with nature rather than rather than a monologue, and, uh, and so you're always asking, you know, what's nature doing here, and, uh, you know, how can I accomplish what I need to accomplish uh, mm-hmm. and fit it into what nature's doing, and that's just an entirely different way from of, of, of relating to nature from the way that we've been taught through our whole industrial economy is which we tell nature what we're going to make her do and as we know, there and you
1: know, are not. I I I follow me, and, and let's have a conversation. And I need the audience to know: whenever I have a guest on, we don't discuss anything. We don't talk before the show. No. Um, when you think about that, our forefathers were unbelievably, unbelievably provided something. And especially here in the United States of America, Fred, we have fifty little states, all separated. I'll call them countries, and each territory became a uniqueness like North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, Oregon. I'm sitting here in Oregon. Uh, my show comes out of Oregon every week. Um, you're living there with the earth, and you're, you're liking to feel it. You're, you're, not, you're mentally talking to it. You're out loud talking to it, but you're also touching what you're doing sure. with your hands. And for generations, uh, we're doing that. And I know for a fact our forefathers didn't want us to leave it all together behind, They'd started this out. They wanted us to know, you live with that soil and that earth and that tree and remember the grafting, more, all that grafting, and they were so excited when they learned how to graft the fruit trees,
4: yeah.
1: how exciting that was. Now tell us about uh, the family farm. Uh, you learned how to talk to it and make it work.
4: Yeah, and and it uh, you know i think the uh, the 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 first major lesson that my father and mother learned uh you know they got married in 1930 and started farming in north dakota right after they got married so that was uh in the midst of the dust bowl and uh uh my father understood intuitively that wasn't just about the weather it was also about the way they farmed and so he decided that would never ever happen to him again and consequently he became a radical conservationist and uh... and instilled in me that ethic of having to take care of the land that that was more important than anything else because that was what that was what uh... you know if you took care of the land it was going to take care of you and if you didn't you were going to be in trouble and um uh, so that's that that kind of shaped the way you know i started thinking about uh... and and then with with that limited amount of moisture you always have to be thinking about how, how do you adapt to that while you're taking care of the land? And one of the things I noticed early on was that perennials were much more resilient in the face of drought than annuals. And so, Yeah,
1: explain that to our audience that would not follow yeah. you, and that is so true. Um, yeah. Have you noticed outside, audience, that the daffodils are coming out of nowhere, the sure. tulips yeah. are coming out of nowhere, yeah. that yeah. there are... Uh, the, certain kinds of of plants that uh, were sitting in dry dirt all winter long under something that are blossoming yeah. explain what you just said to them how that yeah, well
4: you know we, we and and uh, and uh, incidentally, you had mentioned about the different uh, ecologies within different states. There are also different ecologies within states in North Dakota, for example, there are three distinct ecoregions there 's the tall grass prairie prairie in the eastern part of the state the mixed grass prairie where we are and then everything west of the Missouri River, short grass prairie, and they're distinct, different ecosystems. Isn't that a So where we oh, are yeah. uh, with this mixed grass prairie uh, and with the with the wet, wetlands in the prairie pothole region, there are simply large regions where simply are not suitable for grain production, so they've always been used for grazing animals. Mm-hmm. So we still on our farm, for example, we still have 1,000 acres that's still in native prairie that's never been, never been farmed. Mm-hmm. And um, and that native prairie has a large mixture of very diverse plants. That, uh, depending on how much moisture you have, you know, certain plants thrive on that, while others, you know, recede, and so they keep balancing back and forth that way. Mm-hmm. And and perennials have a much more uh, dense and resilient root system. Uh, you know, some perennial plants have, plants have root systems that go down into the soil 15 and 18 feet deep. Really? Whereas most annuals will uh-huh. only be about 15 or 20 inches deep uh-huh. uh, at most. So so you have all of that capacity of the plant within the soil. And then, of course, it also has the effect of building more, of uh, building quality within the soil. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of benefits that way. And it's one of the reasons that some of us are very excited about the work that the Land Institute's been doing in developing perennial grain plants to replace annuals.
1: Uh-huh. And, uh
4: huh. And when that happens, we're going to be – those are going to be uh, enormously valuable in places like North Dakota where we only Can
1: have Can I say – I mentioned something to you and just pretend like you and I are sitting on a couch talking and the world isn't yeah. listening. Do you see – I see that the United States of America could become the leaders of the world of exactly what you're doing because of the fascination you are talking about? Um, What The energy, the economy, and learning how to live off the land again and bringing nutrition to a focus. Let's say water, I'm going to come say to the world and to you, water should be the primary focus because Earth was chosen to have water. It had an intervention. Let's don't ever let water ever with those aquifers and the water that's available here diminish and the oceans come up and we don't have enough fresh. Then there's the soil, the land. Like what you're doing with absolutely the future of energy for the world to have nutrition is energy.
4: Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not that vision and that practice in the world will happen, you know, in industrial countries like the United States or whether it will happen more quickly in developing countries. Uh, right now, um, and Miguel Altieri has been making this point that he thinks that the more creative work is going to come out of you know, some of the developing countries, particularly the global south, uh, because they are, you know, having, they haven't haven't gone through the industrial revolution, and so Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, just like they're bypassing landlines for telephones going directly to cell phones, they may bypass the industrial revolution and go directly to the new farming systems. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you, when you say new farming systems, what do we learn from that description?
4: Yeah. Well, you know, that's uh, uh, that's of course at this point still some speculation. My own my own view is that as energy costs go up, as our freshwater resources are becoming depleted, and as we have more climate destabilization, well,
1: you'll say freshwater sources have become very expensive.
4: Yeah. Well. Yeah. And 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 simply uh, simply no longer available. I mean, like the Ogallala Aquifer, which is the primary source of uh, irrigation for agriculture in the hardland uh, has been depleted by half uh, just since 1960. And uh, so, you know, it's not going to be there all the time. So we have to begin to think about how we're going to farm without those critical resources, the cheap energy, uh, the fresh, surplus freshwater resources, and stable mm-hmm. climates. And, um, you know, one, one school of thought today is we're going to solve all these problems with technology. Well, I, I'm not optimistic about that. Because I'm not either. Technology still requires energy, and if energy is going to be too expensive, how is that going to solve the problem? Exactly.
1: I agree with you. That's why yeah. I wanted to have you back on today because I think you're the, this is the future. I think what you have there is the energy of America and our planet, the future. When I learned from you by talking to you and asking some questions, and I was so, after I hung up, I got to thinking, and our show was over, this is the future of learning how to live when there's going to be times of our lives when the climate's changing or resources change. But we've got to live on.
4: We've
1: got to get out of bed and touch the ground and begin to live that day the way you described. You take it a moment at a time. Now, in your farming, you don't have the aquifer, you don't have irrigation, and yet you said you found methods of mulching, the, uh, the certain mulches that you would use right. to turn over the soil.
4: Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, restoring the biological health of the soil is a... Cre- I mean, we, we, on our farm, for example, in 1988, we had one of the severest droughts on record. And by 1988, we had been building, the restoring the biological health of our soil since 1976, so roughly 10 years. And so the quality of our soil had developed already to a point where it was absorbing and retaining more water, more moisture within the soil. So we came out of that drought now, excuse year. Excuse me
1: for a second when uh, I'm I'm trying to visualize. so your soil was almost becoming like a clay?
4: Well, it's um, I would say it's more like a uh, like a um, a porous material.
1: And in, in the and the other not now but before.
4: But, no, before now, you have it now it's a por- it's a porous material now before it was more of a like a fine grain dust material, okay. There
1: which, we go. Okay,
4: right. Which didn't, which doesn't absorb water. Water runs off pretty quickly. Exactly. So, uh, given that nature of the soil, uh, we still had a 17 bushel an acre wheat crop that year. Now, that's not great. You know, we normally expect about 40 bushels where we are, mm-hmm. um, but we had a 17 bushel an acre wheat crop. So, at least we, you know, we had we had something to go on. Whereas our neighbors, who had not been paying attention to restoring the health of the soil, Never even pulled a com out of the shed because their crops started to dry up when they were about six inches out of the ground
1: because
4: oh, there just mm-hmm. wasn't moisture there to sustain them. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I don't mean that to say, you know, that our neighbors are terrible farmers. Oh, I mean, no, they, they're, no, they're no, learn. They're, they're simply in this other paradigm yeah. uh, that they can solve all problems with technology. And, right. uh, uh, you know, as Ratan Lal at Ohio State University has said, you know, uh, about uh, genetically engineered. Uh, crops for drought resistance. He says they're not going to do you any good unless you at least have some soil, some moisture in the soil mm-hmm. that those crops can take advantage of. So, so the quality of the soil is critical. Uh, now,
1: something you said uh, that I follow because of my research for all so long is uh, when you said that you would ta- that you would have the hay um, dropped all around the cattle, and right. the cattle were urinating in the hay. Right. Then you took. The manure of the cattle, you mix that into a mulch.
4: Yeah, well, they, they mix it themselves because they use. I mean, they, they that, that deep litter that it's actually straw that we that we okay. uh, you know put on the ground straw. for them. Okay. And uh, and so you know they lay in that, or they walk around in it, and so okay. they, so that so it absorbs the urine and the manure.
1: Fred, is that why when we'll pass by some of these fields and they're t- they let their hay turn to straw, maybe that's what they're using it for? I've often wondered. Because it it uh, uh, went to straw. They didn't uh, cut it uh, when it was still very green grass hay or alfalfa hay. They let it go to straw, and maybe this is where they're they're sending it off now. When when you would till that into your soil, uh, where I was coming from, Fred, and I want to ask you, all I could think about is, oh my gosh, I could hardly wait to ask you today is when you're tilling that into the soil, that changes the temperature of the soil, and the soil will pull more moisture out of the air.
4: Well, what we do is, uh, you know, in the spring of the year, when the livestock go back out to the native prairie pasture, mm-hmm. and we compost that straw manure mixture okay, and, and turn it into compost. And, compost. Then in the, and then in the fall of the year, we put that compost out, compost out onto the soil and and it's compost that feeds the humus in the soil, which is the life of the soil.
1: There we go. Yeah, and
4: that's what you know. I mean, uh, it's we often,
1: organic. It's yeah, all natural. You know,
4: we we often think of soil as dirt, but you know,
1: oh no, it's got a so, life.
4: Soil scientists aren't even sure at this point. They think that there are somewhere between two billion and six billion microorganisms in a single teaspoonful of soil. Ah. Now, this is a, this is a living community. And uh, so we need to feed it, and the way you feed it is uh the best way to feed it is through rich compost
1: well, there's what I said. I could hardly wait to get you on to ask you this question You're my in my little research lab have here is that if you're if people would learn to do that compost, yeah. that's bringing moisture out of the air to the soil, and they become living together
4: sure, yeah,
1: yeah, the living people don't realize Fred that there's moisture in the air that we don't see; they really forget about it. And uh, because we're moving around, and what I learned is when we're needing to live with uh, those conditions of that moisture to feed us every day as a living species, that moisture we don't see is that water, with fluid in the air, as NASA said when they've been on, it's that fluid you don't see that is so important. But what you've done is you've learned how to pull that moisture level out of the air because of changing the temperature and the organism of the soil. Now you have something on here that I wanted to ask you today. I was looking at uh, maybe it wasn't you, but the organic farming, and they used a word called hectares. Mm-hmm. What is what is? Can you explain well, and a, define a,
4: hect- a hectare? Is simply a different measurement for acres. Uh, uh, a hectare includes a little over two acres, okay. so it's it's simply another measurement. That so if
1: they say there there's... Uh, approximately 32.2 million hectares worldwide are now being farmed organically. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the information here. What is your predictions to have more and more of this happening and getting away from using all, all the energy that's taking our planet by surprise and becoming expensive? Are you finding that more and more people are getting into more of what they call organic farming?
4: well it's a it's a mixed bag right now because uh, you know if you're if you're a large um conventional uh farmer who you know produces one or two commodities um you're caught up in a in a, a way of farming and a and a market infrastructure and you know the equipment that you have purchased for your farm et cetera which makes yeah, it very sure. difficult for you to change um but where we're, where we're seeing the dramatic changes take place are in the new young farmers who are just coming into farming now, most of them uh, around urban communities, uh, who uh, are not interested in raising corn and soybeans. They want to raise food for people. And because they're raising food directly for people, uh, they want to do it organically or uh, you know, ec- uh, agroecological systems that are similar to organic standards. Uh, and so that's where, now, th- this is a small amount of the acreage compared to, you know, big agriculture, uh-huh. uh, but that's the new generation and the new way of farming that's emerging. And I think uh, I think that the rest of agriculture probably is not going to change a lot until energy costs spiral upward, uh-huh. uh, and, and that's going to happen. I mean, we know that when oil hit $147 a barrel, it made it very, very difficult for these large monoculture agriculture systems to uh, be able to afford, you know, to continue farming. So when you you can imagine that when soil when oil uh, hits three hundred dollars, uh, crude oil hits three hundred dollars a barrel, uh, it's going to be very difficult for these uh, highly intensive energy systems to uh, to continue. And then and then we're going to start looking for alternatives.
1: Mm-hmm. Isn't it the fact of life though? Like you said, you begin to. Uh, each day we begin to learn how to do alternatives, we we'll call it, because of certain con- uh, conditions. But what is going to happen, I know, and it's exciting, that your family uh, have worked so hard. And you think about the families in California, that there's two separate families going there. Your family, what you did in North Dakota, and look what is happening in California. Sure. Have you been into California to see yes. the... Yeah. Disaster. I had friends of mine drive down there on a, a trip, and they they cried. They two yeah. grown people cried, looking at the soil, looking at the burning piles, looking sure. at what happened to thousands of acres and families. Love of farming.
4: Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for joining us again. I did learn a lot, and uh, if uh, if we come back and need some more one day, and I think you might have a moment to help us out. Uh, about what is going to happen for the future, and let's let the news get out. I think people need to know that the news media needs to start covering some of these really exciting families and and what we can do to learn off to live off the land.
4: Yeah, there are a lot of creative farmers out there that are you know making the change. So,
1: well, thank you, and you have a nice day, and be well.
4: You too. Take care. Thank you.
1: Bye. Bye. Didn't we learn? This is excitement of this show, and let's reach out and. There is only one show out there, one radio talk show, that is saying to the world that research has not been covering this. They haven't been covering the crisis of the water. Now, the word crisis is always funny for me because to use because I'm a believer that any obstacle is to solve, and it can be solved with the best of intellectual people and all the intelligence that comes together to solve a, a, um, an obstacle that can go forward. Never stand still. But we need to learn that water must be here forever, ever, ever lasting. There would, should be a word brought back into our vocabulary, eternity. We need to learn to leave our footprint, all of us, together. The global warming, let's just find that if the water on the land of the planet Earth is sufficient in fresh water sea water, and all the water, that maybe the climates will be normal as they have been since the beginning of time, and maybe we will not what's called the, glo- the, the global warming, but let it change with the cycle of Earth, what it has from the beginning of the moment of, of time. Um, as I tell you on the show, there's another word that you need to be thinking about in this classroom with me, is dehydration. You are dehydrating from birth. The earth is in a dehydration. We need to work together and leave that footprint. Earth does have a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. Let's learn together. Let's reason together. Join together one-on-one. Listen to this show and all those special guests. Thank you for listening and be well.